Hi guys, this is Dan here, uh, coming at you live, not live, this is uh, pre-taped clearly. Uh, why am I talking to you and why am I stumbling so much? Well, the second one you should know because you listen to the show, but the first one, why am I talking to you? Well, uh, we thought that we had lost the Flophouse live show in DC and we sort of did. Uh, we we lost any very listenable version of the Flophouse live in D.C., but it turns out that um, a enterprising listener, uh, uh, audience member at the show, used their cell phone to record the entire episode. Now, is this audio any good? Well, it's better than any other version of this that exists. Um, so... We thought that we would release it as a bonus uh, episode for donors and uh, just an extra bonus episode. Not We're not trying to slip this one by as like one of the good bonus episodes. This is definitely a for fans only episode. And if you are able to overcome the shoddy audio quality, there is, uh, it is listenable. I'll say that much for it. It is listenable. Most of the words are able to be heard. Uh, not all of them. And I can't undersell this enough. But if you're curious, uh, why not give this episode a listen? And if you're a completist, here it is. The Lost DC Live episode. Talk about it, 
talked about, or we've talked about. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, I'm just going to not know. 
it was sometime between World War II and tomorrow. <laughs> and I can narrow it down to those 70 some odd years. Um, now, when we were driving down, Elliot made a wager with Dan for $10,000 that the movie would begin Not with a voiceover talking about like a fucking prophecy. That's a bet that Elliot won. Oh, yeah. Falling asleep and jerking my head. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, it starts with a voiceover about how we all know the stories, but there are things before the stories, and enemies start as friends, and friends as enemies, and frenemies as no strings attached. And, uh, it's very bland and vague. There's, they would cut it. With, it's like what they're literally saying is like, we're going to talk about Peter Pan, okay? In case you didn't realize that. In case you could talk really talk about how to clean a pan, get out right now. That's not what this movie is about. Go to YouTube, type in how to clean a pan. I'm sure somebody's made that video. And somebody else has said really mean stuff about women in the comments section. <laughs> For no reason. For no reason. It got really racist. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, we, and, and it's... Pans. <laughs> so it's, it's 12 years before World War II, and Amanda Seyfried is running through the dark streets of London town uh, with a basket, a bundle, with a baby in it. And many B words are involved. A basket, a bundle, a baby, a blanket. A bundle. No. <laughs> what? A bag? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Bunting. No. They're bunting. No. Sure. Uh, a, a biscuit? Yes, probably. <laughs> yeah. The name of this game is Dan's Wrong Stewart's Right. <laughs> Uh, and she drops off this, it's your classic foundling scenario, she cries, she drops him off at an orphanage, tucks a letter to him addressed to Peter, blanket, and gives him a necklace in the shape of a pan flute. Oh, oh, she knows he's going to be a necklace guy. She knows he's going to be a successful recording artist of all time. Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just going to make the exact same joke. <laughs> We get to the Zamfir joke before me. His students have captivated millions all over Eastern Europe. Now, flash forward. What? And he did the music for Picnic and Hanging Rock. Yes, thank you. I didn't mean to slur his entire career. Beautifully atmospheric music to a gorgeously poetic film. Second half drags The first half is gorgeous. Uh, so anyway, we're not here to talk about Pan. So we're baby in a basket. Baby in a basket. Flash forward 12 years, and Pan or Peter, as he's called, is an orphan. It's World War II, and he's in the kind of orphanage that I guess just is common throughout Europe or England, I suppose, where mean nuns deprive kids of food and yell at them a lot and make chores. Yeah. It's amazing that, and this is a country that at the time was instituting a national health service, and yet their orphanages were still run on very Dickensian rules. They just eat gruel all the time, I don't know. Now, Peter thinks that this mean nun, whose name I don't remember, uh, is stealing the rations that are being given to the orphanage to feed the kids. Is he right about this? Of course. Oh, he's very right about this. <laughs> and in looking for these rations, he finds them, like, were they hidden in a Virgin Mary statue or something? Uh, yeah. Which, 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 first of all, is sacrilege. 
Oh yeah, I'm assuming, yeah. So, and he's paired up with a buddy who wears a hat? Yeah, hat in Chicago. Oh, you're not really learning to be Rufio, but... Yeah, I, yeah. I assumed that he would be like, what's your name? And he'd be like, oh, I'm John Rufio. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I know where he's going. Yeah. They find the letter from Peter's mother, which has been hidden from him. And the nun. Why do they keep the letter? So that the nun could neatly rip it up right in front of him. Oh, yeah. Uh, and because evidence, you just keep it around, you know? Yeah. So you can show other mean nuns and like, some sad things. Yeah, you get mean nun points. Yeah. Peter Scavenger Hunt. Last letter from a mother to her foundling. Ten points. Oh, wow, she's definitely getting into the sorority. Can you hear the say? No. No, not really. Okay, well, here's where it gets exciting. Because the nun. Well, well, here's where in theory it gets exciting. The nun, tired of these kids' shenanigans. I guess there's a blitz that goes on, and then an aerial pirate ship uh, with bungee jumping pirates who literally leap out of the ship and grab kids and fly back and it jumps them back up into the ship. Yeah, this is apparently a power that nuns have that we weren't aware of. We used to summon pirates. <laughs> summon flying pirates. I'm not Catholic, but I, I don't remember that being part of the Catholic teaching. But, you know, like, I don't know, if you are not, if you don't do your Hail Mary, then the pirates come. I don't know why you're looking at me, dude. I'm not Catholic. <laughs> now, I think you're a parent. Yes, yeah. Do you lie awake at night worrying that bungee jumping pirates are going to steal into your babe's room and snatch them away? I worry about everything. So, yeah. I mean, not that now I will. I never thought of that specifically. But I always worry that. So we have a video, maybe monitoring system that's set up next to his Oh, room. wow. Look at Mr. Bragging over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah my baby slipper setup is my pride. Okay. I've got video. I don't have just one of those audio monitors. Like, like the gravel have. <laughs> the rolls with their audio. Okay. Uh, and I'm always worried that I'm going to glance at it and there's going to be someone in like a Guy Fox snap. <laughs> 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 Is whispering to your son about how women shouldn't play video games. <laughs> I'm like, you get out of here. Uh, so these kids are kidnapped by these pirates. Of course, a flying pirate ship in the middle of wartime London is going to attract the attention of a squadron of Spitfires. And there's a big aerial battle in which the pirate ship flies so high that all the Planes engines stall out and they fall to their deaths, I assume. You see one pilot get to his parachute, the other ones, I don't remember seeing it, so I got to it didn't happen. That's Roger Ebert rule. If you didn't see it on screen, you can't assume it happened. And so they fly up into space. They were probably working in concert with the Germans. I Maybe. I don't know why that was, that was responded to by the audience as if it was being a serious, a very serious, very controversial accusation. These are already pirates. They are awaiting people. 
would exist off of pillage and probably murder. And as you'll learn soon, the ensuing enslavement of others. So I don't know why you're praying, you know, defending yeah. them against the Germans. <laughs> and this is also this is a dogfight between a flying pirate ship and, and Spitfires, and it should be pretty exciting, that right? Sounds very exciting. And I have to admit, this is something I'm gonna give the movie. The pirate costumes look great. <laughs> you can't really see them in that first scene. No, they're it's really dark. dark. We can get glimpses of them, and later on you're like, oh, these are good pirate costumes. But this, there's a lot of problems with the action scenes in this, in that they're not very clear, and yeah. they're not that exciting. Well, it's, it's directed by Joe Wright, who did Pride and Prejudice and, and Atonement. I don't oh, know that action, action movie. Yeah, I don't know that action movie. <laughs> Okay. But he knows how to handle large set pieces. Like, yeah. atonement is not my taste. It's a little too, like, precise. Like, everything's very clockwork, and there's not a lot of life to it. Whoa. <laughs> the best part of that movie is when... Thick burn. Precise. Which Redgrave did it? Vanessa Redgrave? When Vanessa Redgrave is speaking to the camera, that are, those are the most powerful moments of the movie and the best moments of the movie. And all the huge set pieces where it's like the camera swoops just in time for us to see them killing the horses. And then back over here as a ship takes off. Yeah. Like, they those leave me cold. But when Vanessa Redgrave looks at the camera and says, you know, life goes goodbye pretty fast. Shot for a 3D release. Yeah. Uh, kind of like Friday the 13th Part 3. And to be fair, we watched exactly. it on Dan's laptop. Yeah. I just want to pull the curtain back a little bit and just say that uh, it took us it took us more than six hours to get here, and uh, then we had to do the sound check and everything, and so we were literally watching the movie pan until five minutes before we came. <laughs> behind a loud bar on a tiny MacBook. So, as just as you're right So, Dave, there's this battle sequence, which in theory is a great idea, it doesn't quite come off. The pirate ship takes them to Neverland, which, at first, all we see of it is basically uh, the bad parts, the, the bad places to live in Fury Road. It's like a bunch of mines where slaves are digging out Pixum. Well, and they say rock. Yeah, so they see, they go by like some floating balls of water that have like fish flying inside them. Like that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. Exciting. And uh, they are now impressed into the enslaved service of one Captain Blackheart, played by one Blackbeard. Blackbeard, sorry, Blackheart would better name. Blackbeard. I mean, I guess that's a Marvel character, but anyway, I'm a son. But uh, Blackbeard, played by Hugh Jackman, who the hugest. <laughs> who is, 
I think, really good in this. Like, yeah. he's playing a huge over-the-top character. He bites into every line. He knows what he's doing. He does it super big. And that makes it almost okay that these characters enter into this world accompanied by a huge chorus of slaves and pirates singing Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> That this was like a nexus point of time or reality, which would have been dumb, but it would have explained these songs being But instead, all, all we can, I guess, learn from it is that Peter Pan, is that Captain Blackbeard wrote these songs, Peter heard them, and then sold them to the people who used them for the Like he's dressed like a cowboy, and he's supposed to be like 
Like, uh, he's supposed to be a cowboy. Cowboys, man, uh, their natural enemy is the crocodile. <laughs> attempt to be like, let's slightly disguise this thing that you know about already, like yeah. you know about Pixie Dust, we're going to call it Pixum to give a little bit of gravity. It's yeah. very, everything's kind of steampunked up a little bit, or by a little bit I mean like 100,000%. <laughs> like Smee literally has an aviator's cap with goggles on it, right? Uh, he introduces himself immediately upon meeting him, like it's a Saturday Night Live fucking sketch. <laughs> he calls himself Sam Smeagol. Which I guess, like... Not my Smeagol. <laughs> no, thank you. I only recognize one. Interesting you mentioned one, because Peter, he's kicked off the, uh, the diving board, the plank. The thing you want. Yeah. And they call it the diving board. Pirate's diving board. <laughs> and up, does he fall to his death? That would be a short movie. No. <laughs> you know what he does? He flies. And he flies because, as Captain Blackbeard explains, he seems the natives who the pirates are at war with have a prophecy. Uh, uh, and at that point that you know this movie is just going down the checklist. And it's just, like the minute someone mentions there's a prophecy, just shut that movie off. Unless the movie's the prophecy, I guess. In which case, just walk into the Yeah. Right. I feel babies in front of their mothers or whatever he said. You know? That was your Vita Morton's impression? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And so there's a prophecy of the child of a merry man. And we already know the rest of the story. Don't tell me he's going to be important. I know the story. Yeah, you know, he's Peter Pan. His name is Peter. He has a pan flute necklace. He's with a guy named Hook. There's Smee. It's Neverland. Like, you don't need to dress it up with it like... 
the prophecy is that we've seen Peter Pan. <laughs> when you've seen the future, you don't need a prophecy. <laughs> it's like if you made a movie. I about... know Darth Vader's going to be important. Don't tell me little kid Darth Vader's going to be important. Yeah. It makes him less special if everyone knows he's special. Like, if you were making a movie about the dinosaurs, you wouldn't have a scene where Triceratops goes, there's a prophecy of a comet that hits the earth and wipes out our species. You're the chosen Tyrannosaur. Just make that dinosaur a really good pod racer and I'll believe it. Or have him say things about how he's not the mama. <laughs> Tufts are beating up a guy, and he's just like, oh, who cares? Can't say them all. Now, starfish on the beach, anyway. So, he, uh, they, and they get attacked by Tiger Lily. Yeah. She thinks that they're, they're a threat. Played by a known Native American, Rudy Mara. Yeah. Here's the thing about this movie. You got a no-name playing Peter. You got a big star playing the captain. You got a no name, not a no name, he's a middle link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah character actor. And, he's uh, a handsome blandling, I think is what it is. That's the name, yeah. Handsome blandling. Mr. Blandling builds his dream house. That was for Albion. That was not for the I appreciate that. Uh, why can't, you know, you don't need a big star in this role. Just get a Native American lady. I'll give you some names of some. Uh, Pocahontas. <laughs> Why does she know he was a necklace guy? <laughs> <laughs> he said, 
was asleep and she was reaching for it, and she said, no, too cool. I'm not, I'm not caffeine, I'm just mean, I'm not evil, am I? Am I? And the other ones were like, no, no, you're fine, whatever. But she seems to be the only one at the orphanage, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's why, that's why she's so evil. You know, she feels, uh, she feels justified. She has all these cares and woes, taking care of all the door starrings to the deal we find. As justified. As sister railing But that's true, she's the only one I think working there. Or one, maybe she's only full-time. Yeah, maybe she doesn't want to hire anybody, so she doesn't have to share her spoils of food. Oh, I was going to say, it's the opposite. She is working herself to the bone. Oh, she's stretching okay. laying directions. Maybe she feels like she deserves a little bit. She deserves to get her feet wet, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's give a little off the top of sister. Yeah, sister needs a taste. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> She's even giving these kids a place to live where they're not getting hit by bombs and stuff. <laughs> and there's only a slight chance of pirates. There's <laughs> a chance of meatballs, sure. <laughs> uh, she does call on pirates to get that, but making her job immensely easier. Uh, but they notice this necklace with the pan food, and they go, and they all bow to him. He's the pan. Oh, he's the chosen one. If he can fly in three days, if he can, we'll kill him. And it's like, you guys are taking Peter on an emotional roller coaster ride. One moment he's the greatest guy in the world, next moment he is scum. This is, he is one of Yeah, because if he can't fly, he's scum. Yeah. He's either the Tsar of Russia or he's just another fake Dimitri. So let's. But Peter has a problem. Relatable analogy. But he doesn't have confidence in himself, so he feels like he can't fly. Uh oh, this is going to be bad. Yeah. Luckily, pirates attack. Hey, just like Raymond Chandler said, if you don't know how to end a scene, send in a guy with a gun. But this movie doesn't know how to end something, it sends a pirate ship in, and pirates start bungee jumping down, just hitting people. And here, I mean, I guess there's some time where. Rooney Mara and Peter and Hook kind of like bonded with each other. They form a real Han Luke Leia triangle. With none of the charisma. Or the romance. Yeah. It's not, I mean, there's kind of romance between Hook and Tiger Lily, but none between Peter and Tiger Lily because he's like 12. What is this? Just a little boy. Like Natalie Portman is back on a 10 year old boy? Come on. So, I'm not kidding. <laughs> so. Kids say Mac and so on. I can either be up on the latest slang, or I can know a little bit about Russian history. <laughs> so, a very little bit. And so then, the one thing I like here, and this is nothing I'll give the pirate scene, you see their costumes in full daylight, they look great, they look good. and when they shoot off their blunderbusses, Different colorful puffs of smoke come out. It really adds a sense of whimsy to it. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I think this. I think this movie, in certain places, is trying to be a Terry Gilliam movie. Like, I can see that. I yeah. think. I think that. Uh, it was a heavy debt to Munchausen. Yeah, and I like the look of it better than I like a lot of the things that we watch. Like, it's not super heavy on the CGI compared to a bunch of others. You're, you're giving me. Because it's a magical fantasy land. I mean, I think if there was CGI. I think that there are movies that we would have watched where those puffs of smoke would even be CGI. No, that's very true. And, yeah. I, and there's a there is a part where they're they're on a a, a cable car, a cable that's swinging through somewhere, and they swing onto a ship, and they go whoa, and 
they land, they hit can real canvas sails and it falls to the ground to a real wooden deck and it shocks me for a second. Yeah, LA just LA clutched at his pearls. <laughs>
And so Pam decides, or Peter, I keep calling him Pam. Peter decides, I'm gonna fight too. You know what? I'm gonna fight. Yeah. I believe in myself. Let's go to the fairy kingdom. They go there, he uses his magic and flute necklace as a key to open up this magic door. But who's right behind him waiting? Uh, I wasn't in the bathroom this part. Yeah, who's stewarding? Has been waiting in the bathroom for a long time. Let me paint a picture for you. Yeah. <laughs> Earlier today, we stopped at a rest area, and as per tradition, we all got Popeye's chicken. the sensation of, let's say, gastrointestinal distress. <laughs> Are you saying that Red Station fried chicken may not be the best food? <laughs> We were in such a rush that the whole time we were eating it, we were complaining that it was too hot, but <laughs> <laughs> we didn't stop. The only time we stopped shoving chicken in our mouth was literally to see how we could map the Greek gods onto different booty <laughs> suits there. Cartoons of like a denuded skull <laughs> under the desert. Yeah. Like, I'm just saying, if you ever got to get rid of a chicken, then you can raise mine. You know what I'm If you murdered a chicken, <laughs> the fuzz is on you. You don't, you don't have any so lies. You can find me, and you can afford me. <laughs> the police would find that box of bones and be like, oh, this is clearly something that would be like a medical hospital because these have been perfectly clean. <laughs> We're dealing with a monster. <laughs> so, so the sewer missed this part, but Captain Blackbeard's right behind them. Uh oh! They and they bring their ship into the fairy kingdom, which looks like it's all pixel everywhere. We're in the crystal caves of wherever the the what was that uh, Lucas Arts game where you're on an alien planet and it's an archaeological dig? And yeah, yeah. Crystal and which one is it? Uh, uh, I don't, the only one that I know is the dig, thank you. It's like that, or like Superman's Fortress of Solitude. It's all yeah. crystals everywhere. Billy, even. And so, <laughs> it's Billy Crystal. <laughs> and so, the pirate ship. I'll just do more. I mentioned my giant, like that's his biggest friend. <laughs> Forget Paris, it's Billy Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have that giant having. <laughs> the famous line. Did you know that was Richard Peel's mother? <laughs> so there's a big, there's a big aerial ship fight in the Crystal World, and uh, in this is the most literal steal from Star Wars is that. Blackbeard is going to kill Peter, and then suddenly their ship gets jostled, and Hook is there, piloting his own ship, and Peter's like, I never thought I'd see you again. He's like, you can't, I lied, you can't.
can't get rid of me that easy. Like, except we were like, where did he get the ship from? Where did he get the ship was one that he crashed earlier. It's like, like you were saying, like if it was the trench run and Han Solo showed up and you had never seen the Millennium Falcon at that point, and you're like, oh, hold on a second, where do you get a ship and a big bear to pilot it back? Hold on a minute. This is not something I could just explain away. I'm not going to read the expanded universe comic book that explains what happened in this moment. Uh, there's a big fight, all that stuff. Peter, he's been on the way, he's befriended a fairy named Tinkerbell. Of course, you gotta dot every eye. And Peter, I don't remember why he has a change of heart. Something happens where he's like, you know what, I do believe in myself. And he flies around and all the fairies I come and join probably him. Easier, well, probably easier. He's able to fly because Pope uh, falls uh, you know, to his certain death. Oh, right. And so Peter's like, I dive off, and he takes a leap of faith and catches Buck and saves him. Then he starts bragging about it. Yeah. He's like, did you see that? Yeah, but how about that line, though? And Hook, of course, says, don't crow about it, at which point oh, I said, oh, yeah, we tried to leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> the door was locked. <laughs> and that's the part where the audience was like, oh, he was Peter Pan the whole time. <laughs> And, they, and, and the whole time you're like, when is he going to get his fucking hand chopped off or eaten off by an alligator? Yeah, well, don't hold your breath because so Peter goes, hey, all you little Tinkerbell fairies, come with me. And the fairies team up and beat the pirates. And you're like, wait a minute. So they needed Peter to tell them to beat the pirates? And so that's why the fairies were like, oh, I don't know what to do, boss. <laughs> Secret show where all, you, all these ghosts are eating people. Well, you know what <laughs> but it's instead, it's fairies that are like throwing people around in what I could assume was a really fun scene to shoot <laughs> with guys just jumping off of things and running into walls. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that wouldn't be fun to watch just the green screen footage of. Uh, we do not see the fairies skeletonized book, which is why we're black here. So, what a horror book either. Yeah, like, they're like swarming around him in a way that like you think that it's like, yeah, you're gonna go away and it's just like skeleton like like wings of the camera and falls over. Or And the mean nun is like, oh, I'm so mean. And shows up in the ship, 
and he takes all his friends with him, which, when you think about it, how is that really different from the pirates kidnapping all those kids? <laughs> They're still being taken from the only world they know, so now I guess, what, they're gonna mine for Peter Pan? Yeah, Peter's like, I, you know, like, let's be honest, Peter Pan's a creep. He's always been a creep. He comes in, hey, he, he, he steals Wendy and John and whatever the other kid was called. John Jr. Yeah. <laughs> Little Wendy boy, I don't know. Other boy. And he said, Michael, thank you. And they go to Neverland. And he forces Wendy to have this like, like he and Wendy have this quasi-romantic relationship, but she's also he's she's also his mom. Yeah. Like it's very strange. I've always felt like he's a little weird. In a way, the life in every marriage is also kind of a mom. Oh, no, isn't that true? Especially in today's immature male culture, it's time to grow up and be responsible for ourselves. I would say less Seth Rogans and more uh, hooks, I guess. <laughs> And as they're flying away, uh, they're like, oh, it's so great. We're all we're all back together again, boys. And Hook is like, take the ship to, and Peter goes, take the ship to. And they're like, hey, who put you in charge? And Hook goes, I'm the captain. And Peter goes, I'm the chosen one. But okay, Captain Hook. <laughs> and it's like the, like, like the audience again is supposed to be like, oh, right. I forgot. And so... And then it just goes straight on to the second star of the right show. Yeah, they also have like the the other like wing followers like, I don't know if there's ever gonna be anything that separates us as friends. <laughs> Great, thank you. I guess we're setting up for Pan 2. The other the second story. I don't know. It does feel like it's setting up the first part of the trilogy. But the second part yeah. is the story of how Hook lost his hands because how could we fit into one film? And I guess maybe they're both fighting over Tiger Lily or something? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be a scene where they're fighting over a lava pit and, it's, and a crocodile jumps out. <laughs> I mean, I can say this about this movie that despite the lack of diversity, it's less like creepily racist than the cartoon of Peter Pagan. Okay, yeah, I can say that. I mean, that, that cartoon is many years old. There's no song about what makes. A red man, red. Why don't you have to see that? But, uh. You never answer the question of what makes a method man method. <laughs> <laughs> he just really gets into his ways. <laughs> yeah, he's the miser method all the time. So, uh. Yeah, it's like it, it answers all the questions that nobody ever asked ever. Yeah. But Dan, it looks like you want to move things along. I want to move things along to final judgments, whether this is a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of liked. Stuart, why don't you go? Oh, man. Uh, wow. Oh, so many questions. Uh, you know, this, uh, I mean, despite the fact that, like, the costumes are fun, and things about it should be fun, but it, it does feel soulless, the action scenes are surprisingly boring. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a bad, bad movie. People shouldn't watch it. Although, you should look up on YouTube the scene of kids singing uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. I liked some of the look of this movie. I also enjoyed Huge Act Band, but, uh, I don't know. I'd say it's a bad, bad movie. I was not entertained. Yeah, it's, it's like, I mean, it's not the worst thing you've ever watched, but it's not particularly. Damning with faint praise. Like, yeah, I guess so. 
And it's like, yeah, like I'm going into this, I was like, you know what? It's going to be really easy for us to dogpile on Pan because there's basically no reason for it to exist. But I want to walk into this with an open mind and an open heart. Maybe it's going to touch me, and maybe I'm going to be like, you know what? That added a new adventure to a story that has never really been my favorite, but which is a part of our shared cultural heritage. And it did not. <laughs> like, they tried really hard. And I did, like, there's... They, they what kind of bar is that? They tried really hard. God bless them. Well, but, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it was, I kept comparing my mind to Gods of Egypt, because both are kind of like CGI-heavy action movies in which the characters never really feel like they're in actual danger or feeling emotional stakes. But Gods of Egypt had lunacy to fall back on. And the man was just kind of like, all right, you know. Although, I think Gerard Butler's performance in that and Hugh Jackman's performance are pretty similar, like super over-the-top, wacky performances. Yeah, yeah. Although Hugh Jackman never turned into a giant robot dog man. <laughs> they were all the poor poor. <laughs> Uh, we should move on to the next part of this. Uh, What's the next part? Show? Of yeah, what do we do here, man? We're gonna. Well, we're gonna take some. Is this one we would read some letters? Normally we would read some letters. But we're not gonna do that. We're gonna. We're gonna take a few questions from the audience. And why don't you explain this a little bit, Ali, while I put the microphone in? You got it. Why don't I explain it in that most better way of explaining things? Normally this is the time, and normally this is the time for letters, for reading, for writing, always delighting you for writing us and telling us things that we didn't know. You can go faster, Sometimes things that we didn't know. Take your time. But today it's different. Today I'll tell you why. Today I'll tell you why. There is a prophecy that states. There is a prophecy that says there's a time for letters, a time for writing, a time for living, a time for dying, and a time for speaking, a time for being, a time for leaking, a time for geeking, a time for freaking, a time for geeking. Locate the city here. It's all explained in a musical. We won't mention its name, but that prophecy has. It tells it is of a chosen one, but not just you need to wait just for me to It tells of a chosen many, a chosen few. In fact, so many that perhaps they were chosen by us, but they chose themselves in that greatest, most life-affirming way. Because here in America, we can choose ourselves today, 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 today. This is a rule I like to always like to mention in my Q and A's. Again, it sounds a little harsh, but it's the way of the world. We live in a jungle, people, uh, and that jungle is called life. Now, 
if you have a question in mind that you want to ask us, and let's put yourself in a little thought scenario, behind Einstein for a moment, run a thought experiment. Say to yourself, I was sitting in the audience, just watching, observing, not participating, and someone else walked up and asked this very question. Would I care? Would I want to listen if somebody other than me was asking this? And if the answer is no, do not ask that question. Either come up with a new one, or just take a moment, because we've all been to Q&As. Everyone wants their moment in the sun. Uh, and right. we want to give it to you. But don't waste our time. How long is your moment in the sun? It's more like a year in the sun. Okay, let's ask those questions and answer them. Let's go. Come on, people. We're on the clock. Hi. Uh, my name is Jamie. Last day. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Uh, so, this is an example of a prequel. Didn't really work that well. Do prequels ever work as a format? And if so, what would need to happen for a prequel to work? I'll leave my question off the air. That's a good question. That's a good question. That's a very good question. That's the kind of question you people should be aiming for. That's a good question. That's the sort of question we have to answer. Well, we think about it. It's so good. It's going to have to add something new to the story, yeah? Add another dimension to one of the characters. Yeah, and, and show us things that we thought we knew with a twist to them that makes, you know, I'm trying to think of a And at the same really time, works. it yeah. needs to take advantage of modern special effects technologies. <laughs> I'm yeah. the third dimension. Time. <laughs> is there a prequel that works? I mean, there are, to me, I think there are parts of the Star Wars prequels that work. As a whole, they do not work. Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom, and maybe the beginning of Last Crusade, I guess, is a prequel. But Temple of Doom is not really a prequel, because even though it takes place before, it's not like, this well, we learn how we met Marion in this Yeah, one. Like, I think Temple of Doom is like, we have to take Indy back to a time when he is like also a like a glory seeker rather than since the, he's had he's literally had a moment with God. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's funny because like at the end of Temple of Doom, he also has a moment where he like he's like, oh, there's something greater than me in the world. So he times, forgot all of it. How many times we gotta knock through that dome of yours, Indy? Get this lesson across. But the beginning of Last Crusade is kind of fun and worse that way, where it's like, this is yeah. how he got his hat, this is how he got his jacket, this is why he hates snakes, it all happened on the same day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's day. His dad hasn't aged at all between those times. But I don't like, uh... Godfather Part 2. Yeah, okay, Godfather so Part 2, that works. Yeah. In fact, I think that part of the movie works better than the sequel part of it. Where it's just the further adventures of Mike Corleone. <laughs> Sacrilege, I don't care. But, uh, and I went, is, uh, is Excalibur a prequel or is it just the story of Excalibur? Uh, no, I think that. It's kind of prequel right? Yeah. I guess it's more of a revisionist take on it. Yeah. So that sort of answers your question. I mean, if you watch the Mad Max movies out of order, then. <laughs> As most people in America did, then Mad Max is a prequel to Road Warrior. Uh, we should move on to the next question. Hi, Anne-Marie, Captain Without Queen of Beans. Thank you for giving us your title. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll tread lightly. <laughs> in, the, in honor of our city, I was wondering, besides the invasion, what your favorite DC or political movie Hmm. I think my favorite political movie is probably, we might share one. I would go with the Manchurian Candidate myself. Yes, but I would also go with that one. 
which has such beautiful cinematography and such a weird but wonderful command of tone. Like it's simultaneously it's super funny. a thriller and super funny. Yeah, that's a fantastic movie. Like Seven Days in May is not as good as that, but it's also a good like what this is how the government could fall apart type movie. But uh, what do you think, Stu? I'm racking my brain over here, Elliot. <laughs> I mean, like the scenes, the scenes in Lincoln that are about the passing of the Thirteenth Amendment are are a lot of fun. Where it's like, oh, my father wants to be a postmaster. Done. Great. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Stu doesn't have one. I don't have one. I'll think of one eventually. You can collar him afterwards and be like, for God's sake, say something about our town. Do <laughs> something. Uh, the distinguished gentleman, Eddie Murphy. Everyone who's yelling, you can yell me after the show. <laughs> Another good DC movie. Uh, well, I mean, the deep, deep capital critters, the show. DC Cab. DC Cab, yeah. Go! No, not National Treasure. No. Elliot takes it as a personal affront. He's like, isn't history exciting enough? Well, at the moment, when it's like, yeah, kind of, yes. If I can get on my hobby horse for a moment, why do people are so ready to learn all the bullshit details of a made-up fictional fantasy kingdom, but if it's like, hey, this is how the world you live in happened, people are like, no thanks, boring. Drill. I can't keep John Adams and John Quincy Adams apart. Come on. Their names are too similar, but I don't know how Barrow Thorne and Garrow Thorne are related. I don't even know what people are yelling at this now. Let's move on. I'm going to make this audience hate us. Hey guys, uh, I'm Tom, last name with L. So, John Book is basically a console, as you guys have already told. Uh, so one thing I remember from watching Star Wars is I was born to figure out what console did between when he was packing up those weird crates on the app and the actual battle of the oven. So, you know, he was like, obviously drivers of Death Star and we just like, had a good time. So John Book had this ship, right? And between getting that ship and coming to battle in the fairy kingdom or whatever, what was he doing? Did he just like hang on the ship? I get maintenance. Just regular maintenance, I guess. <laughs> Like a, like a, a minute of work now saves a year of work later when you're making sure everything works and all the hoists are oiled and, you know. <laughs> so wait, when he showed up later on, was Tiger Lily with him or not? No, Tiger Lily was with Peter. Oh. Because Tiger Lily had that very long sword. Now, I don't know what he was here. doing. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. Jesus. Had to, had to bring it there. Thank you for your question. No, I mean, like... Uh, no, I was just looking. I was not. I was just looking at you. You don't need to be like so terrified. I'm you looked gonna... at me like you were gonna okay. say something mean. <laughs> sorry about that. Next question. Yeah, sorry. Hi, uh, my name is Kenzie. Last name withheld. There was an article in the AD Club yesterday about how liking terrible movies is linked to superior intelligence. Uh, is this bullshit? And if it's not, how does this impact your daily life outside of watching terrible movies? <laughs> Here's my take on that. Here's my hot take on that. Good question. Good question. I think there was a time when people who were dumb liked terrible movies. And then over time that shifted as more and more people started watching bad movies ironically. And dumb, dumber people were just like, mm, I'm busy. <laughs> I don't have time to watch all this stuff. Whereas smart people started making the time to do it. And we have friends who watch a lot of bad movies, more bad movies than good movies, it makes me worry about them, because 
start worrying that like they cannot they can't tell the difference anymore. <laughs> what do you think? I uh, think that of course it's a mark of intelligence. <laughs> it's a mark of the highest intelligence. It's certainly not a waste of your life that is somehow taken over nearly a decade <laughs> of precious, precious time that I will never get back. It all, it all just slips away, man. <laughs> like, like saying the like, hourglass. Like dust from the wind. Yeah. All we are is dust in the wind. That was the live in real time annotation. Hi, Keegan. Hello. Hey, nice to meet you. Uh, Eric Key, last name with Hill. Hi, Eric Key. Uh, I have a question about the Flophouse house cat. Sure. Did uh, enough people believe in its existence? <laughs> that it uh, coalesced into a real cat named Archie. I think that's probably it. When uh, the original Flophouse house cat died in a surfing accident. <laughs> His spirit wandered the earth for a time. He was too radical to go to the other side. <laughs> Evan didn't want him in hell, was afraid to let him in. Archie did manifest himself in my life as a complete surprise at a, at a, like at a low point. So That's maybe you, did, you uh, didn't go yeah. and get a cat. The cat was literally dropped into your life. Cat was yeah. You I was, broke down all the things you like about cats. <laughs> you put them in a shoebox. That's a little bit you and buried it in the backyard, expecting no. Never, but you know what? If that cat can grow leaves, leaves on his legs, then we can make a pencil out of cats. Good theory. Hey, Andy. Hey, I'm Andy Cokey. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys, actually, a semi-serious question. Like, how do you feel about the fact that you started this silly podcast about movies? It sort of mushroomed into this thing where people have gotten together, regardless of you, outside of your influence, started other groups, have actually gotten money together for charities because of you guys doing this silly movie podcast. Well, you can't just because this, this podcast did spring from your head like Athena from the ground, too. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all... He's the one who should get the credit, everybody. Let's hear it I'm deeply uncomfortable with it in the way that I'm uncomfortable with all gen genuine emotion. <laughs> and most social situations. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, I feel low a lot of the time in my life. I don't think that's a secret. No, uh, you are very open about it. <laughs> but it does, it is like a weird um, end of It's a Wonderful Life moment for me whenever I think about all the people who genuinely seem to have been touched by that very stupid thing. So, okay. And that's the closest I'll come to crying in a lot of it. I just wanted to say you guys have meant a lot to a lot of people, and you've done it in a really impressive, kind way. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
but I, I, what I saw looked fascinating, so I want to go back and watch it again sometime. See, Dan is looking forward to that Jeff Lou flight. Psychotropic mind trip section. Okay. Uh, there's so some, the music intense. in that movie is so oh, good. Oh, it's amazing. The, the soundtrack in that is fantastic. Hi, uh, Katrina. I'm Hello. Hi, Katrina. Thanks for coming. Hi. So, I dragged my mom to the show tonight. Uh oh. I apologize. This is kind of a no Hyper-specific pieces of media on any of your loved ones, and how much are not for you? Oh, okay. Hyper-specific pieces of media forced on loved ones. Well, I recently uh, put a spark song on while we were driving the car, and my wife told me to turn it off, so that was... Uh, <laughs> uh, I wish I had something here. I think that, like, not to, I'm insulting Katrina. I think I'm more sensible than that. <laughs> Hedwig and the Angry Inch had just come out on DVD. My mom was like, did you like that? I was like, yeah, it's really good. And she called me the next day, I think she was like, I couldn't watch it. I think that's a movie for young people. <laughs> like, Alright, don't know what that means. Okay. I remember recommending About Schmidt to my parents. And they were like, we hated this movie. Like, I didn't realize that it might speak to their own sense of mortality, or like, living in the Midwest or something, but they didn't like it. Yeah. I should be more sensitive, like Dan. <laughs> we should all strive to be more like Dan. Always. Dan's our kind of one and only, and our inspiration. Uh, Never bring us something. It brings meaning to our life. Yeah. I think we've got enough time to get through the people who are in line right now. And no more. But no more. Hold them back. Nobody so. else. Whoa. <laughs> don't, 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 don't literally push anybody. There was a glass that smashed off. Like. Hey. Hello. Uh, David, last name with help. Hey. I attended summer camp. Thanks. Oh, yeah, Yay. I attended summer camp with one David Kalen for five years in the 1990s. We discovered in a talent contest that we were the only two people at camp who had memorized the lyrics so we didn't start the fire at the age of 13. My question is, I was an only child and I was bored. Why is he like that? <laughs> Younger brother, we're talking about. Is that my He's your younger brother? <laughs> anyway, he, uh, number one, he has the kind of mind that wants to learn facts and then tell them to you to establish dominance. I have the same type of mind. And it's been a struggle all my life to not tell people things they don't want to know and don't care about. I once found myself telling co workers. Very detailed history of stop motion animation. <laughs> in my head, I was like, why are you telling me this? I can tell from their faces they don't care. No one cares who Willis O'Brien was. But uh, also, my parents listened to a lot of Billy Joel. And so it was just on all the time. So there was a 
uh, with my family, it was either Billy Joel with the Beatles, or it was the Best of Queen, or it was the West Side Story or Fiddle on the Roof soundtrack. And so we heard that song a lot, and we heard Bohemian Rhapsody a lot. And then when Wayne's World came out, I was like, whatever. We've been listening to that song for years. <laughs> the one time was ahead of the curve, media-wise. That and the time Thanos showed up at the end of Avengers, and I was like, I know who that is. <laughs> Thank you. Tell David I said hi. <laughs> Robert, last thing with help. Hi, Robert. Hello. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, in the spirit of a music venue, who in, say, the vein of Johnny Greenwood should be tapped to do more music or film scores uh, and tie their musical career into the film world? Hmm. Uh, I really liked uh, Mike Patton's score for Crank 2. <laughs> movie that I think is good, but I did not enjoy watching. <laughs> Due to the motion sickness. I mean, my answer to everything like this is always is always going to be David Byrne. So, who's uh, done music for a very theatrical production, so it wouldn't be like a big jump. He did the last, the last Empire. Did the, the oh, did he really? Unless I remember it. Oh, yeah. Where have I been? <laughs> I mean, you were just a kid in the last Empire. Remember it came out? Yeah. And you, that was not the Bertolucci movie you wanted to see. <laughs> there was no nudity in it. That's not the Bertolucci I know. <laughs> but uh, I love uh, the score for Dead Man that Neil Young did. And I wish, I don't know, what other, I honestly don't know if he's ever done anything else in a movie that I like him to. Or I think he was just watching the movie and playing along with it and it came out really cool. And I mentioned Sparks earlier, the song they did for the Forbidden Room, the Guy Madden movie, is really, that's called The Last Derriere, uh, or The Final Derriere, is a really fun song. So, I like to do like a song for a movie. It sounds intriguing to me, certainly. Oh yeah, it's, a, it's literally, it's a song in which Udo here is obsessed with butts, and he goes to a doctor to have him scrape out parts of his brain, that, so it stops his obsession with butts, but only makes him more interested. <laughs> The Dan McCoy story. <laughs> Please, just, yeah, just. This is a tall mic, sometimes too tall. Laura, um, do you have any movies that you really loved when you were younger that you're avoiding watching again because you feel like you've not going to hold up and you're just going to disappoint yourself? I mean, I was a huge Birth of a Nation fan as a kid. <laughs> It's more that they're like movies that I watched a lot as a kid that then I watch as an adult and I'm like, alright. Well, they're like Monster Squad you watch regularly, right? I still like Monster Squad while knowing it's not actually a good movie. But there's like movies like, I remember watching like The Last Unicorn on TV. What are you gonna say, dude? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. America should do more soundtracks. <laughs> I'm saying it might not have been the classic that I thought when I watched it over and over again on HBO growing up. Uh, okay, well, earlier I was talking to Elliot about 16 Candles, which is a movie I watched a lot as a kid, and I'm not going to watch now because it has some terrible shit in it. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. It's hard for me to think of any. Just that only because, one, I had great taste as a 
Two. Uh, I don't know. The only movies I can think of like really loving as a kid were like Star Wars and Gremlins 2 and like those were amazingly well. I guess like we used to watch Teen Wolf all the time and the little I've seen of Teen Wolf since I grew up I'm like, this was a movie? Like, okay, maybe this? It's about a, yeah, it's about a teenager who's also a werewolf and I'm plays basketball. Okay, here's my problem with that. <laughs> One, I know there's nothing in the rule book that says a werewolf can't play basketball. <laughs> We've talked about this on the show before. How does, no, how does word not get out if there's a werewolf playing basketball? At least, like, you think one of the teams would tell another team, hey, before you play this team, just know there's a werewolf on that team. There's a werewolf on that team, there's a real ball on it. The real ball and the part that made me the maddest was when they're doing that civil war play and the guy's like, wolf out, or whatever it is you do. And it's like, that's not authentic. <laughs> as far as we know, there were no werewolves on either the Union or the Confederate yeah. side. As they went through Vampire Hunter, thought they were all vampires. There's a lot of vampires, yeah. And they had no effect on the outcome of the war, amazingly. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> Tell us how it went, 
and then maybe we'll recommend another one. Yeah, after we you might be on your own. I don't know. What about we'll like, build up those calluses on his heart yet? <laughs> like uh, uh, I don't know. The thing kind of has twenty parts, right? No, no, no. It's such a good movie. So good. Uh, Frank, last name with them. So it's been a rough year in the news, as you know. But I think one of the worst. Sounds like a fan. Sounds like a fan. So that's exactly what I mean. Have you seen this in the newspaper? Have you heard about this? <laughs> I think one of the worst things I've read is that the new Tales from the Crypt will not have a Crypt Keeper. Holding hold them uh, back to be revealed in the final act. Uh, so yeah. they twist them up. There was, this crib was kept the whole time. <laughs> uh, so I think he's asking for a crib keeper impression. Crypt dog. So this is like an audition, is what you're saying. Yeah, I, I want a crib dog, yeah. And crib dog. Crib dog. Crib dog. Uh, I don't think we can do that. Damn, start it up. Step up. Step up to the crib. <laughs> Yeah, he uses the rejuvenator. Yeah, like so, but does that mean Peter also needs pixie dust to survive? Or because he's half pixie, does he have like mythical god powers over like everyone else in his room? Yeah, you wrote the movie, right, Ellie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was working with Joe Wright, but I decided, well, I think here's my two theories. One, he's just talking that shit. Or <laughs> two, it's like in Dune, when you're on Arrakis, there's so much spice in the atmosphere that you come to that just have the effects you can't live without it. You're used to breathing it in all the time. So there's just like Pixum in the air, which sounds like a, like a 30s love ballad. <laughs> it is true that this movie, for all it wants to explain so much about Peter Pan, does not explain why Pan is a constant child, like why he does not age. Just raises more questions, you know. Ready for part two, the secret of the youth. <laughs> secret of the youth. And that's, they're fighting over the rejuvenator secret, and Focus like, I want it, and Peter's like, no, no, it belongs to the people or some garbage. <laughs> they get in a fight, and the crocodile bites Hook's hand off, and also eats the formula to use picks up to make it. But Peter has already had it ingested into him, and he's half fairy anyway. So he's like, uh, I have the results forever, but the lost boys, I'll give him my blood to keep him alive. So we suck on my arm and be one with me. So we're going to mail this podcast to ourselves. Yes. Oh, yeah. So there's David. Yeah. We know that they stole it from us. Okay. 
the curves for pins to electric panels. <laughs> Getting that in. Two more. Two more. Uh, hi, my name is Emily. Last name Hello, is Hello. Hi. Um, speaking of electric blue, um, so I really enjoyed nothing, nothing but trouble. The discussion of what was the first time you realized it was going to be bad. You enjoy the episode about well, that episode nobody enjoys nothing about it. Yeah, probably does. <laughs> 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 oh, we don't want to go with the for dinner. He's going to make us watch another bit of trouble. Do you see? Have you seen this part where the episode turns into a penis? Hey, see? Like, 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 I thought he was a bathroom. I'll pause it. No, that's okay. We might fix your dinner of hot dogs and crystal head vodka. So, do you remember what's your moment when you realized, wait, a bad movie can be funny? Like, you enjoyed this because it was bad. Was there a moment or first movie you realized bad movies are funny? Uh, I use the question origin story a lot of I mean, obviously, Mystery Science Theater was huge for all of us. But even before that, I read. Um, before he was a crazy uh, right-wing uh, pundit guy, I read Mike Medved's uh, book with his brother, I think. Yeah. The Golden Turkey Awards. Yeah. And uh, I think it's, I think they it was definitely his brother. I think they did Golden Turkey. So that was like very much was like the seminal like text and like so good it's bad movies and the one that named Plan Nine from Outer Space like the worst movie of all time. And why it held like that honor for so long before your trolls too and your rooms and birdemics and such. Now your fateful findings. Fateful <laughs> But uh, but I think that that really like formed. I I read that as a very small child. Like small as I should have been reading the Gold Turkey Awards, and that formed my uh, small brain. What about you? I think that I think. That book had some influence, but when I was a kid, I had never seen any of those movies, and I didn't have much access to them. And it was like, the way it's written is not like, these are hilariously bad, but like, don't watch these, they're terrible. And so, but so Mystery Science Theater was the first time where it was like, I'm watching a bad movie, and there's a fun aspect to it. And now, I, this has opened up a whole new door for me. Now, there's twice as many movies to watch, because I'll watch the bad ones, too. Yeah, I think a lot of my high school weekends were spent either playing role-playing games or doing drugs and watching, like, <laughs> shitty movies, like, Yahoo Serious movies, or, you know, Head of the Families and whatnot. I'm sorry, those words don't go together. Shitty and Yahoo Serious. <laughs> uh, so I think, I mean, yeah, I think that was probably it when I realized, yeah, this is my hobby now, is watching these things. Uh, it always goes back to our childhoods. Yeah. Thank you. Hey there, Peaches. Um, I'm John Charles, last name with Held. Um, believe it or not, she actually just asked me a very question. Uh, uh, she spooked you. But she spooked that and asked the question that my friend who couldn't be here actually did want to ask you. Okay, okay, great. So I work at a butcher name store, and every once in a while, surprisingly more often than not, get a bunch load of like three video games in and so we gotta test everything out. So my manager, Lindsay, she takes like a three DO home and she tests up some of the games. She came back and she told me about a particular game that she really, really liked called uh, Hell, a cyber a cyberpunk adventure. It comes with a beautiful like pre-rendered like 
red box with like these like 90s era CG pyramids and skulls and demons on it. And the game, you, it, by the way, the game has been a copper in it. It's one of those live action yeah. games. I mean, that is not hard to, I mean, now it's hard to get, but at the time, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but she was enamored with this game. They actually planned like this detective who's great for a. Uh, Running an online internet pornography ring in hell, and you have to go and play your name. And she wants, she, she really wants you guys to like check this game out and review it. So like, my question is, would you guys ever be willing to review like yes. just the company? <laughs> Yeah, where are we getting the equipment to do this review? That's the. Uh, I assume it comes well, packed with a 3DO. Like, uh, not the assumption that every American household has one. A uh, Philips CDI, maybe. Thank you. 